Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Muppet. Yeah! <laughs> Michael Podcast. You knew this was coming. Guess who? Oh. We start this thing off. Join me every week for the Michael Irvin Podcast. We'll give you the full MIP experience. I'm talking everything from football to fashion. I will be chopping it up with playmakers, headline makers, and I am throwing haymakers. I'm the MVP of the MIP. Don't miss it. Download new episodes of the MIP, the Michael Irvin Podcast, every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, and Spotify. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Sirat Sohi of Yahoo Sports, one of my favorite guests, and we had a lot to talk about. We went through some of our takeaways from the playoffs so far, the Nuggets emergence, what's going on in Miami, where the Clippers go from here, some specific player stuff, Anthony Davis, Jamal Murray, Jokic, of course, and... Great conversation. Hope you really enjoy it. Brought to you by Bet Online. Use that podcast one promo code for a sign up bonus and tell them it came you came from us. And conversation runs just about an hour. I think you'll really enjoy it. And here it is. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. There are a lot of different avenues that we can discuss, and I'm sure we'll we'll cover a lot of things. Toronto, the Clippers, the current series that are going on, and I'm going to let you choose kind of which what's sticking in your mind right now. What do you find most interesting? Well, I think probably the game last night that's probably sticking in my mind more than anything else. Right, uh, this matchup is so interesting to me. Um, I think just kind of watching. I mean, a lot of it is really interesting. I think the most intriguing thing to me has been just watching throughout the playoffs the way that Denver has found different ways to to hide Jokic on defense. And, you know, I think I think definitely like it's it's a bit of a played out trope like Jokic's defense, uh, but it is a real thing. And I think that's probably the biggest concern for them. And like the challenge that they've had, like they have this really unique, intriguing superstar that they've had to find a way to build around and they've done an excellent job of it on offense and obviously it's a lot easier to build around him on offense but they really like you know even beyond that they have almost maximized his skill set on that and just by having so many guys that can shoot and cut and have great chemistry with with him and have grown up with him um and like it's kind of you know when they're good on offense they're firing on all cylinders but the challenge with them is defense and the whole process of, okay, first they have Utah, which is not like the biggest challenge in the world. Obviously, Mitchell is Mitchell, but you know, like you can, that's, that's not going to be like, you know, it's not a big deal to, to stop the Utah Jazz offense. Um, then they have the Clippers and then they have the Lakers and like they run into this monkey wrench of Anthony Davis that like nobody in the world can stop right now. And just watching that entire process has just been so much fun. Like it just it's new basketball, right? Like this is just like all very intriguing stuff. Like watching somebody try to like build around Jokic is very interesting. Watching a player like Davis dominate and like how a team react to that is is really interesting as well. So yeah, it's just it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, the Nuggets for me have become this touchstone where I'm wondering how much is like you basically there's this big question that we've all been dealing with and we're not going to get an answer to this for a while of how much of the bubble is unique to this circumstance and how much of it is repeatable and that could be as mm-hmm. like if you want to think about that as like coming back from down 3-1 is is easier because you don't have any road games and you can kind of mm-hmm. build you can build momentum the other team doesn't get a break to kind of to kind of cut it the same way that they did before um, so that's a part of it. There are the, the, the theories about how shooting is easier in the bubble. So maybe some of those support players. And so with the, with the nuggets, what I have, so that's one big thing. It's like basically how much of this and like we talk about, we'll talk about Jamal Murray in a second. Um, but I, I think that's a big part of it. And then the other really interesting thing you brought up the, the, the like kind of how these series have gone 
is especially in light of last year's playoffs, where I thought the Nuggets really underperformed relative to my expectations. They were way better than the Spurs on talent, and that series shouldn't have gone seven. It did. And then I think they should have beaten the Blazers. They didn't, um, though it was close. And there were some, you know, hilariously close games in that series, including the eternal game. I think that was game three, where it went to like triple overtime. So when this first round series started 3-1 and the Jazz outplayed the Nuggets in the game Denver won in that series. Remember, that was the one when Donovan Mitchell had an eight-second violation that was both correctly called and crazy in the circumstances. And <laughs> yeah. and then they, and then the Nuggets go down 15 in game five. And you're just like, well, you know, they're, maybe they're, their defense, you know, like they struggle against the spread pick and roll and they're, they're just not there yet. And they're a young team. They're really mm-hmm. talented. It's not that big a deal, but they're just not there yet. And, and like that was an easy... It was an easy thing to think because it was based on everything we had seen so far. And so what I thought mm-hmm. was really interesting is this duality that happened. So there was one thing is over the course of time, defensively, the Nuggets played better. I thought that they did a better job of kind of knowing where they needed to be to concentrate mm-hmm. on the biggest threats, you know, like sending doubles at Kawhi in particular and some of the other stuff. But also they ended up, even though they were facing better opposition, they're facing teams that don't take Denver out of their comfort zone defensively as much. And that's what I thought that ties in with the point you were making about Anthony Davis is that he's kind of the anomaly there, especially when his shooting has been so good for long stretches of the series is that the Lakers don't run a lot of spread pick and roll. They don't have a lot of reliable shooters out like really on their team. They have a bunch of guys who shoot, but they aren't necessarily, like, Oh God, mm-hmm. we can't, we can't, we can't leave this guy open. And the Clippers are kind of like that too. The Clippers are have, have good shooters, but they don't really have the, catastrophic like oh oh you can't like Michael Porter Jr. can't lose Joe Joe Ingles because Joe Ingles is just going to pop this three and so like you had these two things running together and then I think you're right that Davis is a really interesting monkey wrench in that because he allows the Lakers to play differently sort of within their own system because he can just kind of do his own thing yeah yeah I mean like kind of good points there um the the bubble uniqueness is really interesting to me Obviously, we don't know what is an anomaly right now. I'd say 3-1, you know, like those comebacks. Yeah, I don't think those happen if you're traveling and there's home court advantage. I just think that one is pretty obvious. There have been fatigue issues in the bubble that I think like won't really repeat themselves again. But aside from that, like, I don't know. It looks like basketball, you know? Like, yeah, maybe some guys are getting a little bit hotter than usual. I don't think we'll ever be able to measure that just because who who the hell knows? Like, you can't really, you can't put that situation back into a vacuum and see what will happen. Like, you know, I think maybe years from now we'll be able to crunch on the numbers and and know things a little bit better. But I don't know. It doesn't. The more I watch these games, the more I'm like, there's no asterisk here. Like, it's just like, you know, even like the way that the Clippers lost, it's not like they were fatigued at the end of game seven. That's not the the breakdown that I saw. At least. I no, think I, I agree. That was like, screw this. Like, we, want, we don't want to be here anymore. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think the thing with Davis is just especially to your point when he's shooting like this and it's going to kind of be a question by the way do we know what's what's happening with his ankle I haven't heard anything yet. I think it, teams have been, and partially because the league is getting them, allowing them to get away with it, they're keeping that kind of stuff really close to the vest. So mm-hmm. I, I, I haven't heard anything yet, and I'm guessing we won't. Just like, remember, Bam has that, well, I thought it was a wrist issue or something else, and we have heard basically nothing about that from, from when it happened to when we're recording this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just as an aside, like that is going to be a fascinating thing with uh... – you know, like with uh, with gamble at, gambling being legalized, like just how much coaches are going to be allowed to hide uh, going forward. But yeah, like, you know, back to the point, I, I assume it, it, let, let's assume he's fine. You know, like this happens to Davis every once in a while. Right. Like he kind of he tweaks something in game and then he's fine. Like this is kind of like he has more scary falls and scary moments than probably any player. And I think that because of his injury history and the way that he looks. Um, just being like really tall and spindly like obviously he's very strong and all that but like you know you watch him play and you're a little bit scared so like, I mean I'll, I'll assume that he's okay um, maybe a bit of a tweak but like I think we I guess we probably would have heard something if it was a real real thing we probably don't know for a little while but assuming he's okay like I just I think you gotta just if you're the Nuggets you have to just throw Tory Craig at him for the entire game at this point like I actually this I just wrote a feature on on Jeremy Grant and he's done a great job on LeBron but he just can't hold Davis which is ironic because in the regular season it's actually flipped um Craig did a better job on 
on LeBron and Grant was pretty good against Davis. And in this series, I think it's kind of gone the other way. I think Craig just has more strength. And the other thing is, man, like I know the Nuggets try pretty hard to not let Jokic get isolated on guys, but Davis just get just getting way too many looks against him. And I know that that's part of like just a big man matchup. There's going to be way more cross matches, uh, just going down the floor, boxing out and things like that. But they have to fight harder against that. They have to double more because it's just like right now, Davis, I think is shot 20 times against uh, against Jokic and he's gotten 37 points. Like, and that's sustainable. That's not like he, yes, Davis is hot, but he also knows, you know, there's a reason he's hot against a guy like Jokic. He knows that he can't guard him. And that just like, you know, if they have a shot in this series, which I still think they do, they have to figure that out. And that's definitely easier said than done. But they just, you have to put up a little bit more resistance, I think, on some of these matchups. And I think that also goes for, you know, the amount of times that Jamal Murray has found himself on LeBron James is also not okay. Like, some of this stuff is switchable, but a lot of it is not. And you just, I, th- I think if you're the Nuggets, like, you just have to be stronger with that. Right. And I, I the way that I've described this is basically, defensively, you know you're going to have to give up something. Like, no no team is going to be perfect. Yeah. No team is going to be able to, you know, single cover everybody with everybody they have and, and, not, and switch everything or whatever, whatever system you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so what I think has been a challenge for the Nuggets in this series is that they have largely been of the mind of like, hey, let's let our guys, let's make them beat us one-on-one. And mm-hmm. the Lakers in particular, like LeBron is an unbelievable passer. So if you send a double, that means somebody's mm-hmm. open somewhere. And I think that the Nuggets have been too reluctant to leave the Lakers bad and reluctant shooters open in and basically saying like LeBron one-on-one against Jamal Murray or Davis one-on-one against Jokic, that's a problem. Like that is a bigger, mm-hmm. to me, that is a bigger problem than... Especially Davis, he's, you know, he's not a terrible passer, but he's not an insane one. And so, yeah, if you need to send a double, if you need to send a second person, or even just like the threat of a second person off of mm-hmm. Alex Caruso or off of Rondo or off of somebody else, it's like, you can do that. And it, the the interesting thing is I thought that the Nuggets did a really nice job of that against the Clippers, but I think that was, the Clippers were were occupying a different space on the floor, like it was a little bit closer to the basket, and it's easier to send help right there because there are almost always people close. So it's a different, it's Mm -hmm. sort of a different approach. And yeah, I I think that the Lakers have actually been a little bit under-aggressive on that too. I think that, you know, letting Torrey Craig shoot, letting, and Grant's gotten loose a little bit in the series, and I love that Grant has Sometimes when he's been open on the perimeter, he's been, you know, he can, he can shoot. I I think that his shooting has been overrated for a little while, but he's doing something Mm -hmm. else that I really like, which is if you don't feel like you have the shot, you can just drive in. Nobody's, nobody's guarding you. So that means there's space in a couple different directions. And so drive in, try to draw a foul, try to get somebody to help. And then you can pass to somebody like there are a lot Mm -hmm. of good things that can happen if you're aggressive, whatever form of your aggression takes. Yeah, definitely. Like I think, uh, I think with Grant especially, there were a lot of times where he just kind of walked into the lane. Like he had, you know, like four or five steps ahead of him, and no one picked him up. And I think part of that is like you just you don't really expect a guy like him to do that. And I think it kind of makes like the defense freeze and pause a little bit. There were times on Game Four where he was doing that, and I was like, "Listen, like it's cool that you're feeling yourself, but <laughs> like maybe maybe let's reset this one." Um, but it is it does it does give him a nice dynamic, and I think you're right. Like I think with certain matchups, you know, like if LeBron is one on one against one of Denver's designated defenders, yeah, that's fine. I think they've done a good enough job, and I think honestly, LeBron has also. He's not. It's not like he's taken a back seat in this series. I think Davis has just been so good, and he's been like the right guy to to go and um, and feature in this series. But it's not like LeBron is like out for blood in this series. That's not really how it's felt. So I think, in, in a way that honestly, like Davis has, like Davis is like you know, I he's feeling himself right now, and it's really fun to watch because like he looks like the he looks like the best player in the NBA right now, and like so obviously feed that, but like you know, LeBron is. Not really punishing dudes right now is my point, I guess. And you can live with that if you're if you're Denver, like having those one on one matchups on the designated guys. Davis right now though is unsolvable. Like you just you have you have to make Rondo prove it, you know. And if even if the ball even gets to Rondo to your, or Caruso or Kuzma, like all of these guys that the Lakers have, they're 
they can shoot. Like some of these guys can shoot. They're not knockdown shooters, though. Like like you said earlier, like you you can live with giving them the shot. And listen, if they're hot and they make it, you lose. Like and that sucks. But like we've seen we've seen it happen in this series though. Like you know, Rondo regressed to the meme in the game that the Nuggets won. And they did what they were supposed to do. They let him shoot and they won that game. And that's kind of just what you have to trust right now because Davis isn't cooling down. Like, yeah, okay, maybe at some point he will stop hitting these ridiculous like rainbow mid-range jumpers, maybe. But at the same time, he's open for all of these, which like, you know, looking ahead, uh, Bam Adebayo versus versus Davis would be fascinating if that is how things play out. Um, I think probably that might be the closest guy in the league to somebody that could actually guard him one-on-one and i'm really fascinated to see what that would look like in in the finals uh but that's getting a little bit of a- ahead of ourselves here denver knows how to come back from 3-1 i they probably won't but i do think this is still a series um i don't see them like really going out quietly but they did, they gotta do something about davis man like he's just He's so good right now. It is it is incredible. Um, and you can't really none of these guys can be left on an island against him right now. And especially from the places that he posts up. Like if you if you post if he's posting up and you got to go off of Rondo, that's a very easy quick double that you can get one of the other perimeter guys to cover it, or you can just go back to it because like you can let him shoot against a closeout. That's fine. Um, the bigger danger with him is just more like, you know, if you do it too early in the clock, like he's going to figure something out, like he'll drive and then, and then he'll hit Davis on the lob, right? Like, I think that is like where the scarier parts of, uh, of what the Lakers can do are, but you know, now that they've kind of like, they've figured out like the transition game, Denver's interesting. Denver, it almost feels like they, they find their way defensively in this series. And I think part of that just in the bubble is like, they've had no preparation time for new teams right like every series that they've had has gone to seven but they seem to just sort of find their way defensively like the first game they didn't execute anything in their defensive game plan they gave up offensive rebounds like way too many they were giving up transition points off of makes like they just it felt like they were still playing with clippers right so i think part of it is that but we're at a place in this series now where those easy baskets are going away And the next thing that just needs to happen is that, like, you got to figure out the half court part of this. And that is that's easier. You know, like you guys like they did. They're doing the hard part. They're doing the hard part, which is like staying in front of this team that is athletic and strong and like really built to run and habitually runs like they look for it every single time. And they have they have started to figure that part out. And it might be too late now. But yeah, like if they can figure out the half court part of this in, in game five, like this could still be a series. Yeah, I think it could still be a series as well. And the way that I would put it is the Nuggets have a real chance in every single game. We just don't know if they're going to be able to convert that at three times in a row, which mm-hmm. is which is the real challenge now. Lots more to get to with Sirius Sohi, but first a message from Bet Online. The wait is finally over, football is back, and you may not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season, from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online, and make sure to use that Podcast One promo code to get a sign up bonus and also, of course, to tell them that you came from us, which helps them continue going on the show. Lots of great matchups this week. Rams, Bills, Titans, Vikings, Raiders, Patriots. I, as a Bay Area native, I still think back to the Tuck Rule game. Texans, Steelers, Bucks, Broncos, Cowboys, Seahawks, Packers, Saints, and, and many more. And you can get in also on Bet Online season opening bonuses today and start off wagering to win division and championship features today. You can take advantage of all their great sign-up bonuses as well and make sure to use the Podcast One promo code to tell them that you came from us at Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Uh, on the Davis point, but on the other side of the ball, something that I, I, I guess I could say I got it a little bit wrong in this series, but I think has it it's, makes intuitive sense, so I'm a little bit mad at myself for missing it is when the Lakers go with Davis to power forward and have the other person guarding Jokic, one of the big benefits there has been, especially when he's guarding somebody, let's say like Paul Millsap, where the Lakers have done a better job of saying, okay, if he's going to shoot a bunch of threes, so be it, or drive the basket. There have been a few times where Millsap's done that. So what having Davis not on Jokic does is that allows him to gum up everything else that the Nuggets want to do around the basket. So that's, you know, if Gary Harris makes a nice cut or Torrey Craig or Jamal Murray is around the basket, mm-hmm. it's a harder shot than it would have been for. Now, 
Jamal Murray has made a bunch of harder shots because he has been absolutely incredible in this series and in these playoffs. But Davis has made a real difference. And so I think that's, you know, that's some of the virtue of having Dwight Howard. That doesn't mean play Dwight Howard 35 minutes a game or anything crazy like that. But giving the Nuggets different looks, being able to go to that at periods of time has really helped. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that was kind of, that was kind of the end of the end of the last game, right? Like having Davis, Dwight and LeBron on the floor on defense, it was like there were three rim protectors. And I think that like, you know, having, and also just having, having LeBron on Jamal, that's just a tough one for Jamal because look, like LeBron's been fouling the crap out of everybody this entire series, right? And that is what you get to do if you were LeBron James. Like well, there's in, like, in a late game in the playoffs, they're not going to call as much. Like that's just the way, that's the way it's worked for Yeah, him. yeah, absolutely. And I'm not saying this to be like, you know, like a LeBron conspiracy theorist of like, you know, he gets all the calls and, and all that stuff because like, of course he does. He's LeBron James. Like let's, let's get over that part of the equation because that's, you know, there are just certain rules in life and like that's the way that it goes. And if you're LeBron James, you get the benefit of the doubt. And if you're Jamal Murray, who is still emerging into superstar Jamal Murray, you will not yet. And like that, that sucks and it's not fair, but you know, it's a world. And the Lakers understood that from the get go. And that really has benefited them in this series because they just beat the crap out of the Nuggets. And that's playoff basketball. Like that's just, that's just what happens. But like, you know, down the stretch, like I really think they might've found something just by having LeBron pummel Jamal all game really like and like he, there were moments like he, he played straight up good defense on him as well and there were like just moments where he was physical but he was still like you know like there it's not like everything was a foul but the fact that he knows that he probably can really helps and Jamal is just so much smaller than him and he's had to I mean he looked pretty exhausted by the end of the end of that game there but it's like man it's it's really difficult like these guys are so big they're so physical and that's just not something that the Nuggets can necessarily match, but it's just something that they kind of have to, like, honestly just get over because, like, that's that, – those are the breaks, you know? Like, it sucks, but those are the breaks. Um, but, yeah, like, towards the end there, like, Jamal had that, like, that one incredible shot where, you know, he he was going to dunk and he did, like, the Dr. J, like, put, like, Le- Michael Jordan combination, like, put, uh, put the ball back in his hands and kind of hit that reverse layup. That was an incredible highlight, but that was kind of, like – that happened because of the Lakers' rim protection. That happened because they can put one guy in front of the other, in front of the other, and make you make four moves before you have you can get to the basket. Like luckily, Jamal has a lot in his bag. He has four moves in his bag, and he has he has he has more than four moves in his bag. He has unlimited moves in his bag right now, and it's made it really fun. But at a certain point, it's like man, like the exhaustion thing is going to get to everybody and the nuggets are the youngest team in the bubble. And I think that probably has a lot to do with like uh, why they've, why they've made these comebacks. Um, but it's just a lot. It's just a lot. That's, that's my, that's my point. It's a lot. Yeah. And it's, this team is, this team is the Lakers are just built for the playoffs in that way. Yeah, it's a great point. And on the officiating, I think back to, cause I was closer to it, you know, geographically to those, the early, Cavs Warriors series and there were a lot of complaints about how handsy and grabby those Cavs teams were in the finals and <laughs> the point one of my somebody I think it was on this podcast back then you know in 2015 made was that's what happens you know it's like the the Cavs are more aggressive with that because they know that officiating changes I mean LeBron presumably <laughs> a driving force behind that they had other players with experience too and so you have to at a, so you have to at a certain point recalibrate like that is that is the way it works and it's I won't say that it's fair or unfair like I I mean I would love to see the game officiated the same way all forty eight minutes and every game of the year but it is an understood part of it and I think that it, it that's also one of the adjustments that I think happens with younger teams is that you're trying to play it spotless. And the uh, and there are other players you know that you don't need to that you can you can sometimes you'll get a guy on the arm a little bit sometimes you'll do that and also remember that yeah. basketball is really hard to officiate and so like I thought watching it live that most of those LeBron contests on Jamal Murray were clean there was one that I saw a replay of late after the fact I'm like oh yeah that wasn't as clean as I thought it was it was a foul all that and that happens like I mean that doesn't make it any more or less right I mean it's it's le- I mean it was a foul a foul is a foul but. It, it, there are times what it, it becomes easy at moments to, especially when it's the team that you would expect it to be, to cry conspiracy uh-huh. or think that it's something like that. When it could just be 
the team that's physical, that knows the line shift, knows how to use that, whereas the other team just doesn't do it as much. And there were a couple of bad calls against Nuggets. Jokic's fifth foul, I thought that was a bad call. It, it, and mm-hmm. that doesn't make it any better for Denver. But that that is something to be aware of. And, and something that I thought was interesting in the Clippers series was that the Clippers don't really do as much. I mean, Lou Williams at moments does that, of course. He's been an active foul drawer. But that they weren't, you know, being super physical. The Clippers weren't defensively. And then they weren't really trying to take it to, to, to deal with that offensively. Yeah, that's actually, I mean, that series feels so long ago now. But that's actually, that's a really good point. Um Especially with how physical a guy, like you know, I think I think with Paul George, and you know, I know <laughs> I don't need to pile in the Paul George brigade brigade right now, but oh, oh, uh, we we can do that. That's totally fine. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's is it. I think it's actually in every podcaster's contract at this point that you have to you have to say one bad thing about Paul George, uh, basically for the rest of eternity uh, until until he redeems himself really. But you know, that's that's not Paul George's game, right? And I think that's part of the reason that he has struggled in the playoffs. Like he doesn't love drawing contact. Um he's a great in in between player, but the the side like, you know, I get I guess one of the the consequences of that is that he doesn't necessarily pummel guys and look for contact. Like he's always kind of trying to like squeezing the floater or like use his post game to you know to get himself an open shot and you can be pretty physical with him and it'll bother him but with Kawhi that was definitely really surprising because Kawhi is also a guy that like he understands like LeBron James does that like yeah the game has now shifted and I have a reputation defensively of being able to just get the ball from dudes in incredible like make you have to rewind and watch it in slow motion ways I should use that and that's something that he definitely wasn't really doing um I also I mean I'm gonna have a little bit of bias here I watched I watched Kawhi pretty closely last year just being in Toronto and I just don't think the Clippers are really utilizing him defensively in the way that they should they're really like not maximizing his abilities he can guard anybody at any time like he can and it's just like use that you know use that like he can guard one to five like don't just slap him onto wings like don't just have him like you know guard Jamal Murray like it's just like if you're getting killed by Jokic say hey like defensive player of the year go get that like you know like it's part of that I think was just their fault like they just they played like I don't know, they played like a traditional basketball team, you know? And like, we, at the time, like, obviously there was a conversation about like Harold versus Zubox and their minutes, right? Like, I think part of what made the Clippers fall apart was like, they just really did not adjust to, to anything that the, that the Nuggets were throwing at them. Like there, there are a lot of different things that you could have done with that team that I didn't see happen, especially on the defensive end. Yeah, that that's really true. And I mean, the lineup switch of Michael Green at center, that was some of the best offense that the Clippers have thrown out the whole time because you have spacing at least somewhat credible at every position. Yeah. They went to it a little bit. I think that was in game six. It worked really well. Then they went away from it and never went back. And Doc, like there, there's a, one of the differences. I did a pod with uh, Jared Dubin a little while ago. And we talked about the differences between Budenholzer and Nurse, and like something that I uh-huh. really admire about Nick Nurse, and this is also different from Budenholzer and Doc, is the idea that we need to press any advantages we have because mm-hmm. we don't know how long we're going to have them, and so that that is the idea of if if you need Kawhi somewhere, asking him to do it, and that also applies to personnel. So if you know, we saw that this year with the Raptors. They didn't end up winning series, but they hadn't gone to that lineup, you know, the the really small lineup, Siakam at center, the lineup, the specific one that played like 15 possessions before game six and then closed game six uh-huh. and game seven of, of, of a second round series. And that's a real risk to take now, because if it doesn't work, mm-hmm. the people, you know, it, it's, it's sort of the idea of, you know, like part of the reason coaches can be conservative is because there's... There isn't going to be as much criticism if you do the logic, the quote-unquote, the conventional thing, and it doesn't work. And I'm not sure that... Yeah. Th- go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Um, but so I, I think that's part of it. But then I think the other part of it is there's a group of coaches that think it's conventional wisdom because it works. You know, and, and there, that mm-hmm. absolutely can be true. And I think what you were getting at with Kawhi is a really important point. And it might be the kind of the divi- the the divining rod kind of of the modern NBA, which I've had a lot of trouble calibrating. I was thinking, you know, it's big wings or whatever else. It's like 
It's uh-huh. just special players are special, and you have to maximize what you can with them. And like that goes back to Denver with Jokic offensively. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. he's going to have the ball a lot. That means you need different things offensively. Not everybody needs to be able to do a ton with the ball to dribbling, but ideally they could shoot. They can be active as cutters and all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I mean, I do think that it's easier to, to make a lot of that work with a big wing because, A, they can guard each other, and they're really hard to counter unless you have that guy. But we also yeah. got to see a little bit from the Nuggets about how, especially with Kawhi, you know, like, okay, he's going to get to a spot and he's going to shoot. Well, if you send different guys and try to make it a little bit harder for him to get to that, he'll still do it a fair amount. And, like, that's yeah. what undeniable players do. But make him feel uncomfortable, get into rhythm. And mm-hmm. so it, if you just knock it down a little bit in terms of effectiveness, then it's less dangerous than it was before. Yeah, I think, I think also in a Clipper series was, uh, you know, to your point of, of taking advantage of the things at your disposal, I think there's something to just, like, do things over and over again. Do it until they can't, like, until they find a way to stop you. And I think that's 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 something every championship team does well. That's something the Raptors did really well with Kawhi. And it's not something we saw the Clippers do. Like, you know, with, this is something that the Lakers have done a good job of and that the Clippers didn't. And it's knowing that, yes, okay, Jeremy Grant is a good defender. Gary Gary Harris is an incredible defender. Um, Torrey Craig is a good defender. Paul Millsap is a good defender. Out of all of those guys, if you are Kawhi Leonard, you can take every single one of them. Like, at a certain point, you just have to go out and do it. You have to just leverage all of your strength. Because... Tory Craig is not going to be fast enough. Jeremy Grant and Gary Harris are not going to be strong enough. Paul Millsap is, I mean, Paul, like, I don't know. Paul Millsap is, I'm just not a, yeah. I'm he, just not really he's not a believer, fast enough to be anymore. honest. Like, speed, like, speed is a real problem point. for him. Like, we, you need, the Nuggets need Paul Millsap in like four years ago. You know, like, mm-hmm. he, none of these guys are what really, none of these guys are Kawhi Leonard defensively, really. Like, they are not you. They are not like, they are good defenders. They are not a quote unquote LeBron stopper team. And they know that, you know, like if you, if you look at the way that they have gone about guarding these guys, they know that, right? Like they're not like putting people on islands because they can't really afford to do that. But if, if you're Kawhi, it's like, like make, make them take the extra bump. Like these, all of these little like nine foot floaters that they got, it's like, no, just you have to go get it at a certain point. And, like, you also have to put him in that position, which I don't think the Clippers really did. And then once you know that you have that matchup, like, keep going to it, like, over and over again. Like, if they're going to go, if they're going to have, you know, Grant was guarding Kawhi one-on-one for a good portion of that series, and he did a good job. And, you know, like, and the stats won't really, like, it's funny, like, you know, like, the stats won't bear that out because it was one-on-one. Um, but that also means they could have gotten more from it. It's like, okay, yeah, they're going to go one on one. Like, let's like, cool. I put up 30 shots then, you know, like that is the thing that you have to do in the playoffs. And that is, I think something that the Lakers have done such a, like taking it back to Davis, like they have done such a good job of just being like, yeah, no one can stop Anthony Davis in this series and no one can stop our, our transition attack. So Every single time we have an opportunity, we are going to go to that. And I think, honestly, it just comes down to discipline, you know? Like, it's discipline and execution. It's it's the coaching staff saying, hey, we're going to do that. But then it's also, like, having the habit of mind to say, like, we are this focused. And that is the benefit, I think, of having a guy like, a guy like Rondo on the team who is always searching for that matchup and a guy like LeBron on the team. And that's really what the Clippers lacked. Like, they didn't have, like, that coach on the floor type of guy, right? Like, they didn't really have a point guard that was always thinking two steps ahead and, like, knew who exactly would be good in what matchup and, like, you know, how to place the ball and, like, let's lead him a certain way and all that stuff, right? Like, it was all... It was all just a little too disjointed and it made it just it made the Clippers not, you know, it made them not really live up to their offensive potential. And that, that's that's what I think that they need more than anything else. I agree with that. And also, I think something that really made it hard for Doc to find the right thing in the series is that he had players who were available who weren't quite themselves. I mean, Lou Williams was a little bit off. <laughs> Montrezl Harrell was way more than a little bit off, but they were yeah. still available. And so sometimes that's actually <laughs> harder for a coach is when you see the guy and Harrell won sixth man of the year. He's been one of the most reliable Clippers over the last few years. 
it's hard for a coach who's been there that whole time and who knows the importance of that player to that team, whether it's on the Mm -hmm. court or off the court, to say, you're not playing well right now. You need to be in a lot less. That's harder to do in some ways than if they're hurt and can't play. And Mm -hmm. so I think that Doc ran into some problems there. That's a really hard thing emotionally, especially for a team that is a title contender to say, like, you need to sit on the bench. And that gets into, uh, there's, and I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but I think one of the most fascinating dynamics for the Clippers is they really only have, we know that they only definitively have one more year with this group together. It could be longer, absolutely, but we just don't know. But we know they have next year. And so my theory of the case is that they'll keep this group largely together, but that puts so much heat on next season. Because if it doesn't work, mm-hmm. whether that is in the regular season or in the playoffs, wherever that wherever that threshold is, they're not mm-hmm. going to have much, if any, time to pivot. And so it's a real big thing for Lawrence Frank. I mean, he did a ton to get this roster together, and they are a championship contender. I thought they were going to win it this year. They did not. And so how comfortable are Frank and Doc just running it back and saying the things that went wrong this year aren't going to go wrong again? I mean, that's 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 a difficult question. I think, I mean, like just backtracking a little bit, you know, to the difficulty of making those decisions, you know, in the midst of a playoff series and like the emotions behind that, like that is what every good playoff team does. Like you have to be malleable, right? Especially in this league now, like, you see so many different kinds of, of teams. Like you see teams that play extremely small. You see teams that play big. Like you have to be able to adjust to all of that. And the thing is, you have you have an entire regular season to bank that, to make that normal, to build relationships to the point that you can make those decisions and your players know that it's not personal. And obviously there's still going to be like ego issues. People are still going to be hurt. Everybody wants to feel useful. That is just, you know, that's, that's life. Right. Like, but at the same time, like that is, that is why a coach like Doc Rivers gets paid the money that he gets paid. It's to be able to make that call without completely losing a guy. And like, you, you just need to be able to do that. If you can't do that, then you don't really have business being in the NBA finals, right? Like, you know, like we saw it, we saw it with the Lakers and I know like, you know, I think comparing the Lakers and the Clippers all the time gets a little bit tired, but you know, like Anthony Davis, your star player hates playing center. It has been, it is the most well-known thing about Anthony Davis. It is probably the one criticism that you can make of, of his, of what he provides on the court. It's that he should play center more. And it's like the one thing that he does not do on the floor that he could be doing right everybody knows that but hey you know what the lakers needed him to play center so he played center and then they sh- and then for the nugget series they shifted back and guess what like the coliseum walls did not collapse it was fine and that is just that is just what you have to be able to do and i think part of this with the clippers was just the fact that they gave absolutely zero credence to the regular season a it didn't allow them to build appropriate on-court chemistry it didn't allow them to test every lineup so that you know when doc did have to make an adjustment in the playoffs like it was it was riskier but you also just need to you need to bank the off-court stuff you need to bank the chemistry stuff so that you know when it comes time to make these tough decisions the people who are are being you know put on the bench still know that they are part of the team like that is the regular season is extremely redundant we all know this like you don't need 82 games but those 82 games still give you an advantage in that they allow you to bank a lot. And if you were going to completely disregard it, then, hey, there are going to be a whole bunch of other teams that have the advantage of that chemistry. And and you don't. And that's that really is, that I think, is a big part of what happened to the Clippers. And it also it ties in with the idea of using the regular season, whether you have 62 games with your best players or 82 or whatever, of knowing exactly what you have and what you can and cannot do. So mm-hmm. like if you want to try to small lineups, it's best to have experience with it. Or you, the Raptors are kind of the extreme of this. If you want to try out a defense, it's better if you've done it before. And I think that there is real value to that. And I think you can get there with load management just have to be a lot more judicious about it it's really hard and i think that the the approach there was was difficult and the the clippers didn't quite do it but i thought they were so talented it wasn't going to matter and they you know maybe that could have happened and you know if they had made it through if they had made it through the nuggets maybe they would have had similar you know they would they would have had a different matchup against the lakers and everything moving forward Mm -hmm. so i I wonder where it would have gone 
Me too. I mean, honestly, like looking at the way the Lakers are playing right now, I have a hard time believing that they would have found a way to stop Anthony Davis. Fair um, point. Which is becoming a theme in this podcast. How the hell do you stop Anthony Davis? Um, but yeah, I think it would have been interesting to see. But I, I think you know, I think ultimately, like they they probably would have just fallen apart because of because of the stuff that happened in the Nuggets series. Like when you're not playing up to your potential and you don't know who you are, that is the biggest thing. Like the Lakers, the Lakers know who they are, and the Nuggets know who they are, right? Like it's just a matter of like who the Nuggets are might not be good enough. And I think well, honestly, it'd be fun to talk about the Nuggets' future here because you know they they have found a way to build this team around Jokic. You know, I think when they signed Paul Millsap, what they had in mind was pretty much like the, if he was almost the perfect complement to to Jokic at the time, at least like, you know, the Paul, the version of Paul Millsap that they signed. If he was a little bit more athletic it, and a little bit longer, I don't think that you could have found a better guy to to put next to him. Um, and I think one of the things that the Nuggets have been lucky with is that there are more guys like that in the NBA now, and there are more guys trying to be like that, like working themselves to be kind of like, you know, shot blocking wings, right? So there, there is a bigger stockpile of what you need to build around Jokic than there ever has. And I think Paul Millsap was exactly kind of like that type of guy. It wasn't enough, right? So, you know, they have undrafted Tory Craig, who is who is awesome. Like, we should just talk about Tory Craig all the time because like he I think he has a potential to like kind of be, be like super role player, you know? Like if and I think and you know, he's going to continue to get better. I think his shot will continue to get better. He's incredibly strong. Like he he's a big dude. Um so you you know, you get a guy like that. You get Jeremy Grant, Gary Harris just we talked about him before. Like incredible defensively. And you sort of start figuring stuff some stuff out and you start solving what should be a really impossible quandary in the modern NBA of, you know, how do you have a center like Nikola Jokic on the floor in a spread pick and roll league where where guards are just so quick and they can just get past you? They have started to figure that out with personnel, with creative defensive schemes, with, you know, just holding up a little bit more resistance. And I think part of it is just like there are days that Jokic tries harder and there are days that he doesn't. And when he is trying, they can make up the difference of of just, you know, what his defensive deficiencies are, just being being slow footed and, and being easy to get around and you know, just not necessarily having the best awareness, which is ironic because he has amazing awareness on offense, which speaks well to his ability, I think, to to improve down the line defensively, too. But now we have this team, right? And they are they are very young, like regardless of what happens in the future, like these guys are going to be around a while. And I think Jamal Murray is only going to continue getting better. Jamal's like mini Steph and mini Clay somehow. Like, it's so weird the way like the way that he lights up and just can get like 15 points in a quarter like it reminds me like i know everyone's making this the curry comparison it actually reminds me more of of clay than it does curry um that's that's neither here nor there uh we can write poems about jamal murray after after this podcast if you'd like to i would i would personally love to uh, but you got you got a really young team, and they have this very intriguing way of of, of building this basketball team. And I'm just kind of curious, like, where do they go from here? It's a big question, and I I'm excited about the Nuggets' future even more because Michael Porter has looked so good this year. An imperfect yeah. player, to be sure, but. Like Adam Mara said it well, he was on the show a few weeks ago, and he basically said that Michael Porter Jr. is in some ways more important to whatever their next ceiling is than some of the other guys, just because he gives them an element. But I mean, that was before Jamal Murray went supernova, so maybe maybe that changes it a mm-hmm. little bit. And Porter, he has a beautiful stroke on his jump shot. I think his defense will continue to get better as long as his body can handle it. And he uh-huh. can he can bridge some of the the very few gaps that the Nuggets have offensively. Having a third score, having somebody that teams have to care about, is very important. Uh-huh. And also, you know, he's a very good rebounder, an intuitive cutter, and I think that it is a real luxury to have somebody with that kind of potential alongside Jokic and Murray. And also having him in there, assuming you know, th- and this is why you trade for Jeremy Grant because now if they have sufficient bird rights, they can they can sign, re- re- they can bring him back. And so theoretically, there's been this big question about like who's going to start for the Nuggets next year. And I think one of mm-hmm. the powerful things that Michael Malone has is the ability to try out different things. And so 
and also use the potential of not starting or closing games to help motivate these guys. So yes, there will be times when Gary Harris is not shooting the ball well and that you don't need his defense. So then Barton's probably going to close it to two. There will be times when Grant and Porter and Jokic, that's your front court. You're totally good. There will be times that you want to sub one of the Barton in for one of those guys, or maybe you get a couple other lottery ticket type players like Torrey Craig that are good at a very specific thing. And then you build up their games ideally so they can do more. And so, yeah, I think the Nuggets have a lot, and they've shown a level of competitiveness and adaptiveness that is so important to be successful in the playoffs. And it's not a surprise mm-hmm. that they struggled their first year. We talked about this a little bit earlier. Like, that happens. That That is a very common thing, for, especially for young teams. But it's so nice to see them shake that off and be better this year. Yeah, and I think I, the thing we should mention, I don't think we have, is I mean, Paul Millsap comes off the books this year. Yes. That's $30 million. Now, obviously, they're going to have to save some of that. Like, they, they have they have a lot of young dudes, so, like, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes up. Uh, Grant, Grant is up for an extension. I think they're going to want to, you're going to want to keep him around, too. Um, but I'm glad you brought up Porter's defense, because I think that is going to be so indicative of what their ceiling is. And the thing with Porter defensively, like, Right, he's a disaster. Right? Like he, he is he's kind of a disaster on defense right now. Um, he's getting better. He's figuring some stuff out, and I think if he has the right mindset, it can his de- his defensive ceiling is actually very high because of how bad a defender he is right now. And I think the thing that we have to remember about him on defense and about the NBA is a NBA defense is extremely complex, but. At the same time, this is also a dude who has spent very little time prior to this year playing basketball. He has spent so much time hurt. And I think the place that that has had the biggest consequence for him is on the defensive end. Like, he's a natural-born scorer. He is, like, Jamal, (laughs) Michael Porter's a bucket. Um, And on the the defensive end, like, he just has, he he doesn't have really any idea what he's he's doing. I was actually, like, I I was on the phone with a scout who was watching him on defense and was just staggered by how bad his footwork was, how bad his awareness was. And this is just like a long-winded way of complimenting without really complimenting uh, what Porter is doing right now, the Nuggets ceiling on defense, because he really has only one way to go right now. He can only go up on that end, and he has had like zero reps, really. So if he wants to, like, he has the athleticism, and he doesn't have the awareness right now, but the that is, I think, a large byproduct of the fact that he just hasn't really played a lot of basketball in a while. He has a much higher defensive ceiling than I think people think he does um and also like you know bull bull you know <laughs> yeah i mean you, you wrote about him a, <laughs> uh, that was a couple of weeks ago i mean just having i i refer to it as lottery tricks just having players where it could work out and something yeah. going back i I've, I've thought about this with various teams the warriors had it moments in time with some of their reclamation projects and everything else there is also real power in not needing those tickets to cash out you know, like, so if it does, great. Yeah. You can incorporate them in the rotation, yeah. but not tying your future success to it necessarily. And that's a luxury that most teams don't have. I mean, you generally speaking, it's hard enough mm-hmm. to be good in the NBA that you can't rely on, you know, that, they, that you, you don't get that fortunate. And there are lots of different examples of that in the past. But the Nuggets are in a good position with that, and there are a few other teams too. And so I, I'm, I'm very excited and encouraged by this, even if it ends on Saturday. They've had mm-hmm. an unbelievable yeah. run, and their 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 core. I mean, we this is something that's just so striking with them is not every good player, but their their best players are so young. And the general arc of the mm-hmm. league is that really good players who are really young get a lot better, and they're not yeah. the only two. I mean, we're seeing that with with a certain shooting guard from Kentucky on Miami as well. Yeah, boy, Tyler Hero, he is so good. I hadn't uh, watched, I hadn't watched really film on him at all about the other series, but man, like his footwork is incredible. His playmaking sense is incredible. I feel like he's getting better every game. It's just, I mean, it's just like, I don't really have, I don't have any amazing analysis to add to like, you know, the, the, the Tyler hero train right now, except to say that it's just a lot of fun to watch. He's a really interesting combination of, so, so I didn't watch hero. Um, I, we, Nate and I didn't get to his film when we were when we were doing Brad because last year remember it was so crazy the finals went basically until like two or three days before the draft so we didn't really yeah. have much time 
And I wasn't super impressed with Hero in Summer League. Didn't see a ton of him. You know, Miami Miami had a couple of guys that wanted to see, but there were, you know, Zions and other guys other places. So I think that what has been so interesting to me, and I'm, I'm fascinated to see where this goes because it's so uncommon, is that Hero has a ton of, like, confidence, especially as a scorer slash uh-huh. shooter. But he doesn't all have, and I think a lot of this is Spo in the coaching staff, he doesn't play the rest of the game recklessly. So you see a lot mm-hmm. of players, like you could think about one of the, if you want to go to the real extreme here, you could go to somebody like J.R. Smith, where J.R. Smith has unceasing confidence in himself as a scorer and a shooter. But you would also see that confidence permeate the rest of his game. And so he makes some stupid passes. He doesn't, you know, makes Mm -hmm. some aggressive mistakes on defense, everything like that. And Hero, it's not, he doesn't play perfect, like mistake-free basketball or anything like that. But Mm -hmm. he does a lot less of that. And that was something in game four of the series that was so striking to me was that Hero was getting into the lane. He wasn't rushed. He wasn't throwing mm-hmm. these bad passes. And he was just finding finding guys. If it wasn't there, mm-hmm. he would kick it out or do something else. And it's like, yeah. that's some of that, you know, with the Heat having a lot of good players, I, I think that helps Hero. But some of it is just innate. And it's the idea that it's the game slows down for, for good players throughout throughout their first couple of years. Like there are adjustments and you just get used to the speed and the athleticism. And Hero's not all the way there yet. But he's closer than I ever would have expected. He's that's a really good point. He's really under control. Like just exceptionally under control all the time. Um and he's making these complex reads. And yeah, I wonder how much of that is also just there's there are certain rules, like if you if you play for Miami, right? Like I think you have to stay within a rule. And I think that the Heat have done a really good job of like allowing him to expand while also you know, I think he's done a good job of, of playing unselfishly, really. Like, you know, like all these guys are in, put in positions to succeed. And I think I think a lot of it is really just that. Like, you know, like Duncan Robinson knows what he's supposed to be doing. Like Bam Adebayo is just running dribble handoff, off, like after dribble handoff with those guys. And, and Butler is just like, is really like facilitating the ball. And it just, they just, they just know what they're supposed to be doing. And I think that that can calm a player down. But at the same time, it's still really impressive. Like for, for a rookie to be trying all these new things in the playoffs against, by the way, like a really good defense in the Celtics yeah. and to be able to, to look them off, to be able to not make the obvious pass that, you know, Marcus Smart, you know, reads and, and, and it's like, it's a layup on the other end is just, you know, that's, that is like you said, that's, that's innate. That's, that's definitely innate. Um, I also, I loved, uh, I loved what Spolster said. Uh, I actually, so I have like a, I have like a bulletin board kind of vision board thing set up. And uh, basically as soon as he said, like, you know, everyone overestimates what you can do in a day and they underestimate what you can do in the course of a few months or a year. I, I just immediately wrote that down and put it up there. It was just such an awesome quote. And that was, you know, that was about what Tyler Hero has done. And I think a lot of it is that, you know, like he's in a great player development system and he's willing to put in the work. Like a lot, I mean, this is just like, it's just like another Miami Heat success story, except this time they didn't, you know, like the, the guys that they got that weren't second round picks, like they're stars. Like Sam Adebayo is a star. Tyler Hero looks like he could be a star, you know? Like I think, I think they just deserve so much credit for what they're able to do with their young talent. Right. And the Heat have found success in a lot of different ways. I was actually uh, pre-writing their off-season preview because a lot of it doesn't relate to how the season turns out for them. And something I wanted to hit on in that, that it's just like, as somebody who's who's focused so much on, on front office stuff, it's like that they find value in the draft. They're good at evaluating. They're great at player development and that culture building, which fits in. But also... Using the G League, develop, like finding players there, or getting you know the Tyler Johnsons of the world and everything else, and so all of those pieces put together aren't going to guarantee you a championship. They aren't going to they aren't going oh. to put anything in place. But what they do is they make good things and great things more likely. And then you still need still need it to work out, and you still need like for example. You need an, another team to, for whatever reason, have accumulated a bunch of good forwards, one of whom doesn't want to play for them, and then just trade <laughs> them to you because they really want Justice Winslow. And, like, I mean, Miami getting that trade was such an amazing thing for them because they got off of bad money, which didn't make that much of a difference, but it helped their books, and especially with COVID-19 eventually coming, that that certainly helped them. But also, it got them Iguodala and Crowder, both of whom are helping them right now, for Justice Winslow, who yeah. unfortunately suffered another injury and isn't. 
and that's not I mean I don't I don't love the trade from Memphis's perspective but it wasn't like it wasn't as much of a swindling as much as it was an opportunity that they found and that it ended up mm-hmm. being that Jay Crowder just all of a sudden found a shooting stroke again because they put him in a similar role to what he had in Boston yeah you know what I think Jay Crowder might be my bubble, bubble exception I don't think Jay Crowder plays like this in a, <laughs> if, if, he's, if, if he's at the TV garden that might be that might be the one guy where I'm just like yeah I don't know I don't know but to the point of a big dollar like that, that's that's a great point and I think that like it also just give him another passer like they they pass the ball so well and I think that's like a big part of their success right now everybody knows they want to take every three in the, in the game you know like they're they shoot threes just like they shoot bad threes sometimes you know and I think that that is just like what they have decided that they are going to do and you have you have Jimmy Butler you have Iguodala you have Bam Adebayo you have now you have Tyler Hero playmaker right like it's just there are so many guys and obviously I don't even mention their point guard they have four on as well right like that's another revitalization thing incredible yeah 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 like I did not see him playing the way that he is right now um that's those are all guys who are willing playmakers, smart playmakers, under control playmakers, and you like that. That's how you create a Duncan Robinson. Like you know, like you make it, you put defenses in impossible situations, and like you know, a bad man of bio Duncan Robinson dribble handoff right now. That is an impossible situation. You know, having him run off a pick with Jimmy like that that sets you up. Like it probably not. It's not the first thing, right? But it sets you up later down the possession. You know, like there there are just little things that they that they do to you know ensure efficiency and ensure that they will get a good shot. And a lot a lot of that is just a lot of that is just like they have they have so many smart guys. Like these guys just play so smart. Yeah, absolutely. I know that they get criticized for the overpassing too. I like Jimmy probably gets criticized for overpassing probably more than anybody else because I think you know there's just the expectation of like be a star and like that's you know we know that that's tired and all that stuff. But you know that that is the other end of that. Like you have this team that just they they have mastered being able to get the most dangerous shot in basketball other than like a dunk at the rim against any defense in any situation. Yeah, and there is full belief that if they make it to the NBA Finals, that a lot of that success will be able to continue. And I I haven't yet, because we don't know what the matchup is. We still have a lot of time to think. Don't even some of the, the injury stuff that we've talked about during this, that, that's going to come. But they're really well positioned. And I mean, you also think about the fact mm-hmm. that Miami, like they, they've cleaned up their books. They could theoretically, like the way, I, the way that they've changed theoretically the way that they look for star free agents in 2021 is incredible and they're just i i I don't know where it's going i feels feels like i never quite do in miami but it feels like it's going somewhere really good not that it's already somewhere really good for them likely the nba finals in a matter of days yeah yeah i'd say so i'd say so either way like you know i think denver and miami both teams that like just made a huge splash here, and I think just going to be here for years to come. There, there's a lot more things that we could talk about, but I, we're 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 well on time. So uh, unless there's something specific, I will thank you so much for taking the time, and we'll talk again sometime soon, hopefully. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we'll uh, we'll break down the uh, <laughs> we'll break down whatever the finals matchup uh, ends up being. I'm sure, like that'll be that'll be fun. Thanks again to Sirat Sohi for taking the time to come on. You can read her excellent work at Yahoo, and you can also follow her on Twitter at Sirat Sohi, S-E-E-R-A-T-S-O-H-I. I do miss the old Damien Trillard tag, but better for her to have a real name, and you should definitely check out her work, of course. If you want to support this podcast, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player we're choosing. It's great if it's Apple Podcast. Totally understand if it's not. You can also spread the word however you see fit. Specific episode, the whole thing. Really do appreciate it. Also, subscribing, downloading every episode. That's a huge thing for Real Jam Radio because it's never going to come out on a specific day of the week. It's just when my guests and I are available. And whether that's Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever, we, if you if you can subscribe to it, really do appreciate that. But then the most important thing for this show and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors. For this episode, that is Bet Online. Use the Podcast One promo code. Check it out. Lots of great things there, especially if you're into the NFL, but basketball, of course, going strong and everything else. And Podcast One is the promo code. Tell them it came from us. Lots going on in my world. The NBA cast is, we're actually taking a break for the Game 5s. If there is a Game 6 in either series, we will be back for that. Also, still doing Dunked on Prime. 
it's really great with the subscriber system because we can be so much more flexible with when episodes come out. We can do, we're going to do something on Saturday on the Friday and Saturday games, which normally we would wait all the way till Sunday and everything else. So that's, it's great that we can do that. You can support that through supporting cast. I've tweeted the link out many times. Nate has too. If you have any questions, you can reach out and we have a offer for people who need some financial assistance who don't have the means right now. We have, we, that's very important to us to have that option, which we do. Also, written work at The Athletic have my off-season previews, a lot of them. Uh, so for all four teams still left, those are all written. Those will be coming out soon. Had the Clippers and Rockets come out pretty recently as well. And then I have, I think it's like six more that are in various stages, and those those will be starting to come out soon because now that I have a lot of the other stuff done, it's just finishing touches and cleaning those up. And so those will be those will be out soon as well, and that allows me to jump to other projects and I have a lot of other things that I want to write about as well. So you can check that out. If you have any feedback... On this show, good, bad, or indifferent, Danny LaRue, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is my promise. I do not promise I will respond, but I I hope to. It is it is not, but it, I, my goal is to have you read it, is, 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 to, is to read it so that it is, you know, your input does matter to me. Um, and you can rest assured that that happens. And I, some replies, people crack up sometimes, they're, they're really late. But I always read it right away, and I think about it and process it and everything else. So there will be a real GM radio next week. I don't know exactly what it will pertain to. My guess would be the NBA Finals, though Dunked on Wolf Course have a preview of that as well. So you can keep an eye on that. That's why you subscribe. Have every episode. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.